Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles, another great edition here. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com. Mark Tripp Jr. dominated the Quaker State 400 at Kentucky Speedway. We'll talk about that. Plus, Kyle Larson not only lost the race on Sunday, but a bigger loss on Wednesday. And the NASCAR R&D Center will explain that. A bad wreck by Brad Keselowski caused some interesting comments to come from Keselowski, reiterated by Dale Earnhardt Jr. about the this this afternoon, or yesterday, excuse me, during his podcast about the Generation 6 car, whether or not that's good. Also, the news, Eric Jones, he is in the 20 car for 2018. It was announced earlier last week that Matt Kenseth was going to be out. We'll discuss Eric Jones's, uh what we think he's going to do in that 20 car, and Matt Kenseth, what is ahead for his future. We'll, we'll break that down. Plus, we'll talk about Kyle Larson's penalty, as we mentioned. Chad Johnson suspended fine, and a big points penalty. We'll preview New Hampshire, and we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. Here, but first, John, the Quaker State 400, a real um, lack of there. Dom- <laughs> Snooze fest dominated by Brad by Martin Tricks Jr. for about 152 laps. Cobb was 112, but really there was no doubt on the long run when, when those rate, when those Stages got towards the tail end of, those, of, of the end. Uh, Martin Tricks Jr. really figured it out. That car was good on a long run. And at the end of that race, uh, you know, Evan by nine cars being lead out. Now, this is nine cars in a, a race that had eight, or excuse me, nine caution flags. He had everybody up to ninth place laps. John, if, he, if that race runs green, he laps the whole field maybe twice. What a run for Truex in that 78 team. They have the mile and a half figures out. I mean, Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr., it just, it fits them. And one of the things with Truex, I mean, the last um, regular set of pit stops before the final caution, Truex started like eighth or ninth, and Kyle Busch was right there with him. And everybody's expecting Kyle and um, Truex to have a little trouble to get through the field. Truex was back in the lead within five laps and pulling away. I mean, there was a point where Truex had an 18-second lead on the field. And it takes 29, 30 seconds to get around the track. So, I mean, he's got two-thirds of a lap on everybody. It was, if you're not a Martin Truex Jr. fan, this race sucked. If you're a Martin Truex Jr. fan, you love the hell out of it because he was so far above and beyond everybody. Kyle Busch could stay with him on a short run, but on the long run, nobody had anything for him. The only person who came close was Larson, and part of it I think we figured out because his car was illegal. I don't know how much it added to it, but, I mean, he lost 35 points in his crew chief, which we'll go over more later. But Larson was about the only one who really was able to pass through the field. I mean, and they repaved it again, so which made it even more of a headache. But Larson went through the field twice. He just didn't have enough for Truex at the end. And Larson was on four tires and Truex was not because the last, the last uh, yellow Truex was 14 seconds plus up on everybody. So Truex was in a damned, if you do damned, if you don't mode, because by the time they got around to pit road, 
if Truex comes in, everybody else stays out and Truex is back in ninth place for the green-white checker, or Truex stays out, everybody else comes in, and he was still able to pull out from pull away from everybody else on old tires. I mean, it was just evident how much that 78 team, like you said, has a mile and a half figured out. 28 playoff points right now for Martin Truex Jr. and that 78 team. The second... The car with the second most points is 16 with Jimmy Johnson. He's almost doubled the amount of playoff points he has on the rest of the field. It's amazing what that team's been able to do. And you think about Mark Truex Jr.'s career here, John. Guy who a lot of people thought, I think, early in his career, well, you know, he, he won his Xfinity Series championships, a little overrated going in the cup. Um, went to Michael Waltrip. Was that the – I made the chase, won it over, went to Michael Waltrip Racing, didn't really run as good as I think a lot of people expect him to. Was uh, came so close so many times winning races. Now he's figured it all out here at that 78 team. They won eight races in two and a half years here, um, and really has turned into a really really solid race car driver. He's the guy who, to me, John, he proves, and this is how I feel about a lot of the drivers out there. In the right situation, Martin Truex Jr. has thrived, and that has come to Martin Truex Jr. with this 78 team, and it just shows you. It depends on, uh, with a lot of these guys, it depends on the situation they're in. And I think Truex has proven that with just the amount of success he's had, because there's no doubt, John, to me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me, he is the odds-on favorite to win this championship right now. Right now, unless something crazy happens, Martin Truex Jr. should make it to Homestead. I mean, with all the playoff points he has locked up right now, and the bonus playoff points, he's going to probably get another 15 if it stays the way it is, and he's the points leader after Richmond. That'd be 43, and that'd just be as it is now. And he's going to get more stage wins, and he's going to possibly win another race between now and then. I mean, he's really good up here at New Hampshire. So there's a shot he could pull another win off this week. Um, I think Martin Truex Jr., there were people who talked overrated with him, I think, Part of it was whenever he was at DEI, um, Junior got everything went lock, stock, and barrel into that eight car whenever Junior was in the eight car. And then when Junior left to go to Hendrick, DEI started falling apart around him. And he knew that it was time to go. He did the year with Earnhardt Ganassi, but then the chance to go to Michael Waltrip came and he went there and he did okay at Mikey's shop, but I mean, Michael Waltrip Racing was an okay team. I mean, it was overhyped compared to what it was. And that first year at Furniture Row Racing, where they were terrible, the year after Kurt Busch made the chase, and there was a lot going on in Martin's personal life that year. I mean, his girlfriend, Sherry Pollux, came down with uh, ovarian cancer. Uh, Barney Visser basically said, hey, you can take the rest of the year off, be with your girlfriend, your ride is here, but Martin stayed it out. Sherry is from a racing family. She knew what being, being at the track meant for him because it basically gave him the energy to help her through the week. So, I mean, he had his outlet in the racetrack. He was able to help her during the week. And the other thing that, um, when you think about this race and how much it meant to Martin Truex Jr., Sherry wasn't in victory lane because the ovarian cancer's back. She had surgery again this past weekend. She was in the hospital while Martin Truex Jr. won at Kentucky. You know how much that takes out of you. You're 
partner in life, your loved one, is fighting the most evil form of anything in cancer, and she's not there to celebrate in Victory Lane, and you know that's tugging at his heartstrings. But the way that team has come together, I mean, when they put Cole Pern in charge of that team three years ago, the last year they were with Chevy, they made the chase. Then they switched to Toyota last year, and between the two years at Toyota, they've been knocking it out of the park. They've been outperforming Gibbs, and it's just phenomenal what they've done there with that 78 team. Yeah, and I think, like I said, you know, it, a lot of people find, a lot of drivers find their crew chief. Um, I think, you know, you start with Kevin Harvick, Rodney Childers is his guy. When he was at um, RCR, it was Gil Martin. Jeff Gordon, we all know his relationship with Ray Abraham. Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals. So there's that one crew chief that seems to always, um, you know, click. You always click the best with. It. I think with Truex, it's Cole Pern. Cole Pern and that team have really um, done a great job. And, it, again, it just shows you that it depends on the situation these guys are in. And I think Truex, for, for that, no doubt about it, has, has proven himself. And, you know, another tough loss for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, like I said, Kyle Busch led 112 laps, had a, had a fast car at the stages of that race. Um, you know, we saw some flashes. Benny Hamlin finished fourth. We saw some decent flashes from uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, but still no wins, so a little disappointing there. But the biggest loss was Kyle Larson. You talked about him coming from dead last. He didn't qualify. Car was illegal before the race, so he never got a qualifying lap in. Um, passes all the car, all those cars, goes to second, finishes in the second spot. I think he even has a speeding penalty that's coming in the back. But now all of a sudden, the, there's a bigger loss. He ended up second. That was a tough loss for him on Saturday night. But Wednesday's announced, Wednesday today was announced that even, an even bigger loss for, Mar, for Kyle Larson, where his car was found to have an illegal cooling element in the rear end of his race car, which resulted in Chad Johnson, his crew chief, being suspended for three races, uh, being fined $75,000, and most importantly to me, John, is that 42 team was was docked 35 driver and owner points, dropping him from the points lead, which he had a one-point lead over Truex, to now 34 points back behind Martin Truex Jr. And if you're Larson and you don't have as many stage points as Truex, which is the case, or excuse me, as many playoff points as Truex, which is the case, you thought, well, I'm gonna at least I can win this championship now, and get those points that pay me to win a championship and beat Truex there. No longer the case here because now he's 34 points in the rear and he's got to chase down this 78 team. A pretty big blow for that 42 car today here, John. Yeah, I think it was. Um, those second place points hurt. I mean, they got them, but I mean, they lost 35 in the process, which puts them 34 behind Truex. And as many stage points as Truex has, I mean, one of the things Larson was hoping for was to get the extra five for being the points leader. The one thing, though, it, that car has been consistent all year. And Chip Ganassi and them aren't even going to appeal it. So they must have known they did something wrong. They, they were pushing the um, gray area and went completely red instead of in the black. So it was not the smartest move on Chad Johnson's part. It's going to put um, Larson back a little bit, but he's still second in points. He still has the two wins. He's still got tracks that he's good at coming up. Larson's got a shot at Pocono. 
Larson's got a shot at Michigan. I mean, heck, his he's won there twice. I think I wouldn't count Larson as not a lock for Homestead yet because of this. The one thing that does make me nervous about it, if you look at when Joey Logano got his encumbered win at Richmond, since that day, whatever uh, Todd Gordon and them were doing to that 22 car, whatever NASCAR found has changed the way that car has performed because they haven't been able to do it again, and they have not been close since the Richmond race. They've had a couple where they've had their moments of grandeur, but nothing where you see Logano fighting for the lead on a regular basis. He's not been, if you look at the two cars, two Penske cars, plus the Wood brothers, Logano's third. It's all, it's been Keselowski, Blaney and Logano's trying to find his way and get back into the top six. I mean, to make the chase, he's still outside looking in because of the encumbered win. I wonder what that's going to do to the Chip Ganassi folks when it comes to Kyle Larson's team. Was there something on there? that's going to change the way they perform since this penalty has been found? It's a good question because, like you said, we saw it with Logano, and, and even on Saturday night, Joe Logano got clean air in that 22 car, and, yeah, he was on older tires, and tires were important, but he didn't run as good as he should have in the front. Uh, he ended up, I think, in the, finishing in the eighth position, which wasn't a horrible day, but it's not where we usually see – that 22 team on a regular basis. They're usually in the top five competing for wins, and we haven't seen them do that, like you said, since Richmond. Um, the only thing about this 78 team, and I guess you could say it about the two-car, too, when you think about uh, when you compare it to Logano, is that 78 car, or excuse me, that 42 team, excuse me, um, that one car has been pretty, just as fast. You know, they haven't had the wins. They haven't had the top tens that, or top fives that McMurray's had, but that one car's had a lot of speed, um, it just seems that seemed, things haven't seemed to go McMurray's way as they have for Larson. You can argue maybe that 42 team in the driver and crew chief department might be a little bit better and a little bit stronger in, than that one team, and I think that's pretty that's pretty accurate. So when you look at your teammate and you see your teammate performing well, and, and McMurray's got a lot of top tens this year. Uh, right now McMurray in the points sits sixth. I think that's a little encouraging if you're a Kyle Larson fan because you say, hey, my teammate's got speed. They haven't found anything on the one car yet. Um, maybe it was just an isolated incident here at Kentucky. But this 42 team has been pushing the envelope all year. I mean, when you go through inspection, we've seen cars have trouble going through inspection all year, especially in a mile and a half. There seems to be five or six cars right when qualifying starting that aren't through inspection yet. But it's every single race, it seems like, with this 42 car, they're having some kind of issue getting through inspection for qualifying. And it just shows you how much Chad Johnson's pushing the limit. At first, it was the 78 and the 77 team at Furniture Row, but now they've settled down. And this 42 car is now pushing the limits, pushing the envelope. It goes back to the old saying, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Well, now it's going to really cost this 42 team because they're down, they're now behind in the point standings, yet losing Chad Johnson for three races. I mean, he's still going to build these race cars. He's still going to have a lot of say. He's still going to be texting and in conversation with the team on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that doesn't hurt as much. The fine... It hurts Chad Johnson a little bit, but I don't think anybody as far as the team really concerned. But those points are important for them. Um, and it just might hurt the mojo a little bit here, John, as far as getting prepared for this chase. This 42 team has been on it all year long. You know, when you think about the 78, I think the, the next team you think about as far as who's had the best year, the 42 team is next in your brain. Will this hurt the mojo going forward? Do you think this will put a little bit of a, a cog in this 
42 car system here. What are your thoughts? I think it could. I don't think this week is going to be the week to tell. I think uh, Kyle Larson has his first time at New Hampshire. He did okay, but he struggled since. And New Hampshire's going to be a crapshoot because they put the VHT or whatever the heck they're calling it this week down, the sticky stuff in the grooves. Then we had monster thunderstorms up here, so who knows how much of it washed off. They may have to reapply tomorrow. I think where you'll be able to tell the difference is how that 42 performs at Pocono and how that 42 performs at Michigan. Those are two tracks that suit Kyle Larson. Uh, They're both fast. They're both hard on the throttle hard on the brakes and they fit his style and you're able to go multiple grooves in different places, especially Michigan. You can go anywhere you want. It's so wide. You can go up top. You can go down below Pocono was, I mean, Larson did well at Pocono this year. So those are the two races where if there's something where the mojo's gone, those are the ones to watch New Hampshire. Larson isn't that great at it. He hasn't showed that he does well at the flat, one mile and under tracks. He struggles at Martinsville. He struggled at Phoenix. He struggles at New Hampshire. Uh, So those are the things you have to look out for. I I really see if, if Larson's got a kink in the armor, we'll be able to tell when he hits Pocono in Michigan. I think it's a fair point. I think, um, you know, that's more towards the higher, uh, the tracks where they got the higher horsepower and, you know, we'll see also, um, you know, these mile and a half tracks are very important because they're in the, there's five of them in the chase this year. I know next year we're going to have the Robo with Charlotte, so that's not going to count. But, you know, there's five of them in the chase this year, and you look at it and you say, listen, they need to be on top of their game. So will this hurt them on a mile and a half program? It remains to be seen. Uh, the rest of the top ten on Sunday, on Saturday night, excuse me, you know, I had Truex, Larson in second, and it was Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Eric Jones, Jamie McMurray, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, and Ryan Blaney in your top ten. Finishing in the 11th position, John, was Daryl Wallace Jr. News uh, out of him this week in F43 team. Eric Amarola will return for New Hampshire this week. Um, it, he's uh, had a back injury. He's healthy. He will be back in the 43 car this weekend. Bubba Wallace is out of a ride uh, for this week. Uh, and, and for the near future, it doesn't seem like they have anything for him. His Xfinity teams have seen, have seen to uh, cease operations here. So now it looks like Bubba Wallace is out of a ride. How do you do, John, in his little four races stint here at Richard Petty Motorsports? And what do you think his future – what do you think uh, his holds in his future as far as a ride down the road here? I think uh, Bubba did – he didn't do anything to hurt any chances going forward. I think he was respectable in the 43 car. The 43 car isn't a challenge for wins race car on a regular basis. Um, I think Bubba ran the car better than the finishes showed because there's a couple times he got caught up in somebody else's mess. But, I mean, he ran a solid 11th in uh, Kentucky. And he was running just as fast as everybody else at the end. He just lapped down, as was three-quarters of the field. I think Bubba did nothing to hurt himself going forward. I think Ford really likes Bubba. I think um, NASCAR really likes Bubba because of the diversity factor. But Bubba Wallace has showed he is a good driver, not just he's a African-American driver who can drive so we can put him in a car. They can put him in a car because he's a good driver, whether he's African-American or any other race that you're thinking about. 
I think Ford's going to try to find a place for him next year. And you look at the way silly season is starting to line up. There's a lot of open seats that could be happening in 2018. So uh, it's sad that Bubba doesn't have the Xfinity team to go back to it. Uh, Roush Fenway. It's sad that it's come to the point where if you're not walking through the door with a multi-million dollar sponsorship, you're not getting a ride anymore. And that's where it's hurting Bubba Wallace right now. 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. And it's interesting because when I think about Bubba Wallace, a lot of people, and you brought it up, John, about the diversity factor. There's no doubt that has played a key role in his uh, graduation up to, through these series. Um, you know, he, he did a very good job in the truck series at Hobbush Motorsports, and he deserved to be in a full-time Xfinity Series driver. Jack Roush goes out, gets his hands on him. Nice job. But this was his third year, and he hadn't won a race yet. I think it's hard for these drivers, drivers like Bubba Wallace, who get a little bit of an opportunity, not a great opportunity, to sell themselves to a big-time, to even a, a minor cup ride, without winning Xfinity Series races right now. Um, yeah, Ty Dillon is the exception. He won one Xfinity Series race, and he's in a pretty good ride there at Germain Racing with the Geico team. But his grandfather pulled a lot of strings to get him in that ride. There's no doubt about that. Casey Mears had a full-time, had a, a long-term commitment there that sort of dissolved because of RCR's commitment to that 13 car. Um, what I'm getting at is, to me, you know, Bubba still needs, I believe, I think he would be better off running more a, a year, another year in the Xfinity Series. It would have been nice to see what he would have done this year with a full year under his belt. And that, to me, is where the Drive for Diversity program has failed a little bit. Because when you think about Bubba Wallace and where Daryl and Diego Suarez last season, Diego Suarez, uh, the first Mexican driver to ever win an Astro Xfinity Series championship, Bubba Wallace had the opportunity this year to be the first African-American driver to ever win a NASCAR championship in its three major series. And it was dissolved just like that. They couldn't sell that to a sponsor. That's not good. And that's a loss for the Drive for Diversity program. Yeah, he, he got to run four races in an iconic number 43 car, right, Richard Petty, Richard Petty Motorsports. And he will be very, very, very better. He's much better off now running those four races in, in Cup than he would have been if he started fresh last year. But right now, his 2017 season is very, very murky. Um, there's not much going on for him. He might occasionally start an Xfinity Series race here and there, and that would be it. To me, that's not good. I want to see these young kids. I want to see a young kid. And, and this is my problem with Alex Bowman even this year, John. I don't care that he's running simulators. I want to see these kids in a ride. I want to see him have seat time. And Bubba Wallace again here in 2017. His future is murky. And I tell you what, his his future in 2018 isn't that great. I think when you look at maybe Front Row Motorsports, where you sit there and go, well, they just put his Xfinity Series crew chief in a 34 car. They have three charters. They're going to have to do something with that charter next year. Maybe that's where Bubba goes and he does what Chris Buescher did. But right now, Jack Roush doesn't have a lot of options. He's going to run two. He, they come out. They've come out and they've already said they're going to run two full-time uh, series teams and one full-time Xfinity series team in 2018. That doesn't leave a lot of options for guys like Chris Buescher, uh, Bo Wallace, Ty Majeski. Those guys are on the outside looking in. So they're going to, have to figure out a way to get Bubba Wallace if they want to keep him in this fold 
into a ride. And with his resume, no disrespect to him, but he hasn't won Xfinity Series races or championships. With his resume, it's going to be hard to sell him to a top-notch ride. So he's going to have to go to a team like that's available or a 34 or a third front row motorsports team if that's available. But right now, John, Bubba Wallace's future is murky. And I'm not, if I'm a Bubba Wallace fan, I'm not thrilled with the situation he's in right now. I'm not either. And one of the things that I think Bubba, where I said I think he performed well with the equipment he had driving for Richard Petty Motorsports, you look at some of the drivers who came through over the last few years that we look as the superstars of the sport. Matt Kenseth did not win an Xfinity championship because he couldn't beat junior in the Xfinity series. Tony Stewart did not win an Xfinity race before Joe Gibbs brought him the cup. Jimmy Johnson was not anything to write home about in the Xfinity series. And we know what he is in the cup series. I think it's one of those, the horsepower and being able to pedal the car. Bubba has showed he can do that. He was respectable. People weren't afraid to run around him. People weren't uh, knocking him out of the way. He was doing what he needed to do at the cup level. The problem is now, it's to the point where if you're not bringing the million-dollar sponsorships, ask Matt Kenseth, you're not able to find or keep your ride. I mean, if we're talking about Bubba Wallace, um, who hasn't had the greatest Xfinity Series career, but he was in the top three, top five in points whenever the ride went away this year. He's outperforming Ryan Reed, but Ryan Reed brings Lily Diabetes to the table. So Bubba Wallace's team goes away, not Ryan Reed's. You look at the way this is going. If Matt Kenseth, who is a cup champion, who a couple years ago won seven races. Kenseth is out there with the I need a ride sign holding in front of him. And you're Bubba Wallace, and you're like, hey, I'm over here. I, I ran okay in Petty's car. But you know you're probably fourth or fifth on the depth chart of who may end up getting a ride. Yeah, and and I think the asset that Bubba Wallace bought, and I want to rehash this a little bit with you, is his diversity. I think that's huge for NASCAR. I think it's good. But as I say that, you know, they can't sell sponsorship from an Xfinity where he would have had a chance to be the first African-American driver ever to win the Xfinity Series championship. It was lined up. I mean, he was going to make that, cha- that playoff, the playoffs in the Xfinity Series this year if a sponsor stepped up to the table and put him in the – kept him in that uh, six car all year long. But that didn't, ha- didn't happen. And to me, that's a loss for the Jack for Diversity program. And to me, that's the shame of it all is that I would love to have seen what he would have done this year. And I think his career would have been – he would have been way better off finishing this year out, running that six car and seeing what he would have had here than he would have been running these four races at the 43 car. That's why I was a little hesitant when a lot of people were going, well, this is a win for the Jack for Diversity program. I didn't think it was because he sort of got this ride because Amarola's back was broken. Um, and if he didn't, if Amarola's back wasn't broken, as we see right now, he would be out of a ride. So to me, that's not good for the track for diversity program. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame for Bubba. You know, I think he, um, you look at it and you say, what, 
he's a good young kid. He, he, he probably has the potential to be a, a winner down the road, a cup winner down the road, uh, with a little bit more seasoning. But right now it's very murky. It's a very odd situation. Uh, Wait, with Amarola uh, back, John, how do you think about Amarola? Will he step up and do the job? And what, what are your final thoughts there on Bubba? Well, when you're thinking about Bubba, let's let's look back over the past five, seven years of Roush Fenway Racing. Matt Kenseth left the 17 car, not as much because he wanted to go to Toyota. It's because it wasn't fully sponsored. Jeff Burton left the 99 because the first half of the year for that 99 car, there was not a sponsor on it. When Carl Edwards came, they, he brought Scots with them, and they wound up having a sponsor on the 99 car, and they were able to sell Carl. Um, they sold Aflac, and Aflac sort of went under, so they piecemealed it together with Fast and All and a bunch of the other little sponsors that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. gets. Trevor, Brain, Trevor Bain has Advocare, brought it with him. Part of why Trevor Bain is locked into the six car, because he brought Advocare with him. Lily Diabetes is sitting there with uh, Ryan Reed. He brought that sponsor with him. They're fighting to fill Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s car with sponsorship, and he's got two wins in the Cup Series this year. I think whoever's running the marketing program at Roush Fenway Racing has a big problem because if you can't sell Matt Kenseth, if you can't sell Bubba Wallace, who is a solid driver, who is the first African-American in this century to make an impact. I mean, if you think about it, you've got Danica, you've got Bubba as your two um, drive for diversity folks who are there now. Danica is a female, Bubba is an African-American. You got Daniel Suarez as a Hispanic American, I mean, as a Mexican. Daniel Suarez is in that ride because Carlos Slim pays the bills. He had, I mean, he proved himself to be a champion in the Xfinity Series last year because he was able to pull seventh, eighth place finishes. He had, he won, what, one race last year? I mean, it wasn't like Suarez went out there and lit the place up. Bubba Wallace, for some reason, they've not been able to find sponsorship for him. That's why he wasn't running Xfinity for Joe Gibbs Racing. And he's a good driver. It's just. The sponsorship, if they can't, if somebody's having to go out and sell sponsorship and you're not bringing money to the table anymore, it's not really happening. And I think it's across the board, and we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to silly season, but it seems harder and harder and harder to find sponsor for, sponsors for these cup cars. Uh, it, to me, I think it's the hardest it's ever been. Adam Stern was on Sirius XM NASCAR radio last week and was saying that the teams are having a hard time selling sponsorships. And that really makes this sport, to me, um, it puts it in a bad situation. So hopefully, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to silly season, because that's a major factor in this sport. There's no doubt about it. But a couple interesting tidbits, John, after Kentucky was an accident on lap 89 with Brad Kozlowski, Jimmy Johnson, and Clint Boyer. Kozlowski lost control of his number two car, uh, collected Boyer and Jimmy Johnson, ruined their days as well. Um, but the interesting part was the comments after the race by Brad Kozlowski. Kozlowski uh, basically slammed the generation, the Gen 6 car, said that uh, the car doesn't put on a good show for the fans. Um, you know, it, it needs to be more into the ground, whatever, you know. Uh, destroyed this Generation 6 car, 
and says he the fans deserve better, NASCAR deserves better. This comes after a week after Steve O'Donnell told uh, NBC Sports that a Generation 7 car is on the way. Um, in the two, next three to five years, we'll see a Generation 7 car, another, a new car. Um, but what were your thoughts on Brad Keselowski's comments after the Quaker State 400 on Saturday night? Do you think he had some merit there with uh, talking about this Generation 6 car and that the, it doesn't put on a good show? Or was this just an isolated incident at a track that produced some horrific racing all weekend with a new repave? Um, what are your thoughts? I think Brad Keselowski must be listening to Talking in Circles because – for the last two years, you, me, Lee in Virginia, when he calls in, all of us have said the product is not good. And the funny part is the first year they came out with the Gen 6 car, and it had all of the horsepower. They didn't have the tapered spacer on the engine. There was great racing all year, probably one of the best years in racing that we've had then they put the taper spacer on and everything went wacko now they've lowered the downforce it's still not good i mean put the horsepower back in the car that's the problem i mean if you make they're making it tougher to drive which is great because they're supposed to be the best drivers in the world you don't want them going out there like it's a sunday drive down um, the interstate in Charlotte, you want it to be a challenge to drive these cars. But put the horsepower back in it to make it even more challenging. And then, I mean, because you remember that first year we had the Gen 6 car, and we got out of Car of Tomorrow. Everybody was like, this is the best racing we've had in forever. And then they started tinkering with success and finding ways to mess it up. And Hopefully, whenever they get to the Gen 7 car, whatever it's going to be, hopefully they find a way to make it right and get rid of the splitter and go back to a valence. And um, they have to keep stuff underneath the car to help keep the car on the ground. But they've got to be able to find a way to make it where leader in clean air doesn't mean leader is your winner. And that last 10 lap caution, the caution with 10 laps to go is going to change the outcome of the race. And then somebody who led 150 laps is sitting there ticked off because they lost on a pit stop or something like that. I want to see it where we have 14, 15 green flag, green flag passes for the lead. Not this Kyle Busch leads 112 laps. Martin Truex leads 130, 125 laps or whatever it was at Kentucky that's three-fourths of the race. And then whoever else led, there was a couple here and there, but most anybody else who led was they stayed out while everybody else was pitting. And that's not what I consider good racing. Yeah, and the the, change, the stages have changed the game this year. I think it's it's put a Band-Aid on a deeper problem, I think, as far as making these races in the middle of these races interesting. Uh, because I think last year and the years before, we've seen – these races get a little bit lackluster, get a little bit dull in the middle of it, no doubt about it, because teams are kind of sitting there going, well, we're going to get a late caution anyway, and we'll make uh, sort of wait for adjustments. They weren't really pushing the issue. But right now, especially in the, on the plates, on the plate tracks, these teams are running up front and trying to get as many points as possible. Um, you know, I hear people a lot 
and you know I, I listen to radio shows, I watch the TV shows, I, I read a lot of, um, you know, banter between race fans and stuff, and I see people say, well, you know what, these racetracks, they shouldn't repave, because every time we repave a racetrack, it's an all, that awful racing, and yada, yada, yada. I'm tired of hearing that. Because to me, the, you know eventually these racetracks are going to have to pave these tracks. They have to. You know, you just can't, you know, as much as they can delay it as much as possible, but there's going to come a time where these tracks are going to come up. And we need to figure out a way to make these cars where they can race very well, even on a repave. And I think this Generation 6 car, and with the new lower downforce package, I think it's been great on the shorter tracks. I think it's been g- good on other racetracks. But on the mile and a half, it just seems to not really put on as good a show as it does everywhere else. And I think that's been the biggest problem with this Generation 6 car altogether, whether it's been a lower downforce package or not, is it hasn't performed well on the mile and a half tracks. Those are our bread and butter. Those are the tracks we have the most of. I don't think it's a right that we have the most of them, but that's the actual fact, and that's not going to change until these track owners quit being greedy and, and change that up a little bit. Um, so we need to work with what we have. We need to work with the fact that we have mile and a half tracks. We need to work with the fact that we're going to repave these racetracks. So what you have to do is change these, this race car up. Dale Jr. came out and defended Brad Keselowski in a way by saying he hates splitters and wants the valence back. And the splitters have destroyed racing in his opinion. And yada, 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 you got to get on the racetrack and run with a splitter. And I agree with him to that standpoint. I think the splitter is terrible. But he's also said NASCAR has been very reluctant on, on getting rid of the splitters, which I don't understand. And he made a good point. He said they got rid of the wing, no issue. But the splitter has been something where they've kind of kept it. And I would love – and I've said this numerous times. And maybe I've just been naive and I haven't seen anything about it yet. But I would love to hear what NASCAR's explanation is on why we've kept the splitter for so long. When you hear – and I heard Slugger Labby say this on Sirius Radio a few weeks back – constantly people say, if we took the splitters off these race cars, it would help these race cars get turned through the center. So why haven't we done that yet? We hear so many smart people say these splitters are the are evil, so why is NASCAR so reluctant to do that? That's what I want to know. And I think if we make these small changes to these race cars, it could make a huge difference, uh, whether it's take away the, the splitters and the side skirts, so we have to do that because, again, John, we're not going to get rid of the mile and a half tracks, and we're not going to stop repaves. They have to happen eventually. One of the things that you've seen with the splitter as well is how far out it goes. And whenever you do bump into somebody and you use them up going around the turn, they end up get cutting a tire because the side skirts and the splitters or whatever it hits another tire – it's cutting a tire and somebody goes into the wall. Not because anything they did, but if it was back to having the valence and out without these side skirts, you don't have cut tires as much as you used to. You could rub fenders and not take somebody else out because of it. I think those are two of the things that we need to get rid of. I mean, the splitter is just ugly. And it doesn't really do anything. It adds more downforce, but... I think it, racing was just fine with the valence. I think a lot of old school fans agree with you, John. Um, no doubt about it. You know, I think a lot of people have a lot of uh, theories on what can make the racing better. There's no doubt. I think there's some people who think, um, you know, NASCAR fans complain too much, and that you know, it, 
what that we saw in the nineties wasn't as good as what we thought it was and, and stuff like that. Um and there's no doubt, you know, when you look at lead lap cars and people say, Oh, well, lead lap it was only six cars when we lap back in the eighties. It was a completely different sport back then as far as how we go about even getting your lap back. I mean, we have the lucky dog now and all that kind of stuff, a wave around. Um or we might be in the same situation where if we didn't have and now we have stages and we we used to have the precautions before that and competition yellows which let me get me started. If we didn't have those, we might have eight cars in the lead lap because it bunches the field back up, uh, gives these teams shots to work on these race cars. Um, so at the end of the day, John, I just think there's a lot of people who have theories out there. But I think I just, to me, again, we've hashed this a million times. It just, the splitter to me is one thing I would love to hear an explanation on. If you can give me a good explanation, I say, okay, fine, that's fine. Where you can sit there and you say, this is why we're doing it. We disagree with them. We think the racing is better here. I would be okay with that. I just want to hear it from their mouths on why they're keeping the splitter. It just, to me, just seems like they're saying, well, no, everybody's wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. We know more, and that's it. Come out and explain it to us so we're more educated on that topic. That would be, I think, awesome. Um, final words, John, on Kentucky before we move on to uh, other news of the week. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, on Kentucky, and what are your final thoughts there at the Quaker State 400? I think Kentucky is – a good track that they continue to find ways to mess up last year. The racing in Kentucky was pretty good. And for some reason they need to put another four inches of asphalt on top of it. And the racing this year was just terrible. I mean, Truex was leading by 14 and a half seconds of the last caution flu. And he was within sight of the white flag. I mean, he's coming out of turn four when the, when the caution come out and he could have saw the white flag. He was, the white flag was, where he could see it before the yellow came out. I'm glad we're moving away from there. Um, it'd be nice that we don't have another mile and a half and now until we hit Chicagoland to start the chase. So it should be interesting to see. Everybody's got their and all that stuff together. They have five races in the chase this year. Next year, there's only three that are mile and a half, so it might make a difference next year. I'm just glad we're done with Kentucky. Let's see what happens at New Hampshire this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how the sport reacts to a shorter track after running a lot of uh, intermediate tracks here in the last few weeks. 917 if you want to join a conversation on Talking Circles. The big news of, I guess you could say last, it's sort of been the last week and a half here uh, as far as the number 20 car goes. Um, it was confirmed last week, Mackenzie came out during really on Friday at Kentucky and said, Hey, I don't have, I'm not going to be in the number 20 car next season. I don't really have a ride in concrete here for next season. Uh, so that opened up a lot of possibilities. Everybody was mentioning Eric Jones and then Joe Gibbs racing made it official this week, announcing Eric Jones will drive the number 20 Joe Gibbs racing Toyota in the NASCAR monster energy NASCAR cup series next season. Jones in the 77 car this year, got his feet wet, a one year deal with, uh, five hour energy with furniture racing now moves into Joe Gibbs Racing's number 20 car. A lot to discuss here, John. Um, but first and foremost, what are your expectations for Eric Jones in this number 20 car? Do you expect to miss a beat here? Um, what are your expectations for him and, and even to finish up this 2017 season here, knowing that he's going to have a different ride for 2018? I think, uh, the 2017 season will be just fine. I mean, Barney Visser came flat out and said, our goal is to win races 
make the make the playoffs and for Eric Jones to be rookie of the year. What was telling out of the announcement was when Joe Gibbs said, due to unforeseen circumstances, the time to bring Jones back to the Joe Gibbs racing fold, because he said due to the circumstances, they didn't see him being able to be in the 77 car next year. Now, part of that may be that five hour energy is a sponsor who is tied to furniture row racing because with monster energy being the cup series sponsor, five hour energy was grandfathered in, but can't leave the team to go somewhere else. They have to stay with furniture row racing. Maybe they go to Truex, maybe Bass Pro Shops isn't coming back or something like that. Maybe Barney Visser's tired of funding the full season and putting furniture row on the car all the time. So it might be one of those that the 78 car is going to get the five hour energy sponsorship. Um, they said there's no concrete plans for the 77 next year. Other, I mean, the only concrete plans at Furniture Row Racing is Martin Truex will be in the 78 car. I think Eric Jones better perform as good, if not better, than Matt Kenseth next year in that 20 car. Joe Gibbs, I mean, they're looking at the future of Joe Gibbs Racing as Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez. They signed Denny Hamlin to a extension, and Kyle Busch is the lead dog at the uh, Joe Gibbs racing shop. Eric Jones better put on a show in that 20 car because Kenseth, as Dale Jr. said after the announcement, is not going to have problems finding a ride. And it's going to be just as good, if not better, than the car he's in now. I agree. I think um, I think Eric Jones is a good driver. I really do. I think he is the real deal. I think he can win a lot of races in the Cup Series. I think he can win some championships down the road. No doubt about it. I think the kid has got everything he needs to win races. Um, but I wouldn't say a lot of pressure, but a little bit of added pressure because you're replacing a guy who was a champion who was solid there. And I tell you, I don't know for how popular of a move it was inside Joe Gibbs Racing as far as the drivers are concerned. You know, not that Kyle Busch loves Eric Jones. You know, we know he discovered him in the Snowball Derby a few years back after Jones uh, outran him in the Snowball Derby. He uh, just did a great job. But Bush's comments with Claire B, I think it was Friday after qualifying, were telling, you know, he's like, hey, Matt, we love Matt. You know, he, he helps with our setup so much, we're going to miss him. You know, and that was kind of like, whoa, because you sit there and you say, well, no comment. Uh, it just shows you the amount of respect Kenseth has within that organization. So I'm not sure how, as far as the drivers are concerned, his teammates are concerned, how popular of a move that is. You're bringing in Eric Jones, good young kid, can do a lot, and is going to win a lot of races in, in the future. But, uh, you know, I think Joe Gibbs Racing and his teammates aren't too happy as far as losing a guy that's as talented and as smart as he is when it comes to this race car. Um, that leaves Matt Kenseth, Sean. Um, we talk about him champion, 2003 champion, 38 wins, does an unbelievable job every week. I still think at the age of 45, Kenseth can win races in the right situation. Um what do you think he's going to go? I mean, listen, I've been banging on this drum, the 88 drum, for a while now, uh, and there's a lot of, of rumors out there about teams. Go, there's a four-car team going to a three-car team. The Hendrick Motorsports might be included in that. I don't know whether that's Hendrick Motorsports or Stuart Haas, but either way, I think you're going to see Kenseth in, this, in a Hendrick Motorsports car next year in some capacity. I heard today there was a rumor somewhere around, uh, I forget where I read it, Kenseth might run even part-time somewhere. Um, but 
I think Kenseth, if I had to make a, a hold a gun to my head, I think he's going to be at the filling in for Dale Earnhardt Jr., even if it's for a year at Hendrick Motorsports until William Byron is ready to take over that ride. What are your thoughts on Kenseth's situation for 2018? Matt Kenseth is a great driver. Matt Kenseth has not had the cars under him this year. Nobody from Joe Gibbs Racing has had the cars under him this year. And when you said about the drivers at Joe Gibbs Racing, it was a telling sign when Kyle Busch did speak with Claire B. after qualifying. One of the things Kyle Busch said is Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch both were the ones who were pushing hard, pushing hard to get Matt Kenseth to come to Joe Gibbs Racing. And if you look the first year they came there, Matt Kenseth got there, Matt won seven races. He was lock stock, the best car on the track all season long. The next year, Kyle Busch wins a championship. I mean, Kyle Busch wins a championship during that time. They've both leaned on Matt Kenseth a lot when it comes to setups, like you said. I don't see Matt Kenseth in a part-time ride. Matt Kenseth is too good a driver to be a part-timer unless he wants to be. And he sounded like when he spoke at the uh, press conference at, at Kentucky on Friday, he did not seem to be a guy who wanted to go part-time. He seemed to be a guy who wants to run all year long. And I think if it's a part-time at Hendrick Motorsports, I don't see him doing it. I do think Hendrick Motorsports is where he's going to go because, I mean, you heard Junior not long after the announcement that Matt Kenseth is going to find a ride. It's going to be as good, if not better, than the car he's in now. Dale Jr. knows what Hendrick Motorsports has, so there probably is already something possibly brewing into the works. The other one I see is the possibility of the 10 car because having somebody like Matt Kenseth to go along with Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch and Clint Boyer and Kurt Busch is uncertain in the 41, I think Matt Kenseth will bring a little more stability to that Stuart Haas racing stable and could buy the couple years that they need before Cole Custer's ready. Oh, yeah. And listen, anywhere Matt Kenseth goes, to be amazing because he's a very talented race car driver. I still think he has the talent to win. Uh, I don't think age plays a factor for him at all. Um, you know, and it begs the question, really, what happens to that 77 team? Who goes there if that's the case? we got a caller here. Lee in Virginia is calling. Lee, what do you want to talk about tonight? I'd like to continue on this, the silly season Matt Kenseth talk for sure. What, what about it? Uh, Matt, obviously, a lot of wins, uh, former champion in this series. Um, where do you think he's going to end up for 2018? I think it's going to be at Hendrick Motorsports, but I think it's going to be strictly for 2018. And, you know, it's a one-year deal. And it just shows you right now, I think, where we are sponsorship-wise in this sport because the sponsors are going to stay there. They're going to be behind Matt Kenseth. Um, I know Exalta is really, really excited about William Byron, but um, I think they're going to give Kenseth a year, and, and he's going to run a year there, and then and then Byron's going to come in with Exalta. Um, but it just shows you, though, that, that the sponsors, you know, you can't sell sponsorship even if you're running good because Matt Kenseth has not run badly this year. They haven't run great, but they've been terrible either. Um, and – they can't sell sponsorship for him in the 20. Had they had the, the sponsorship in place, I believe, in my opinion, he'd still be there. And then they they do Jones in the 77 again for another year. But from what I get, 
Jones is going to bring a sponsor with him, and that's really why Kansas is at at the 20, and it just shows you where they are right now, sponsorship-wise, in NASCAR. Um, but it, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with the 77. I could see it easily closing up with these charters. Now you could start a team up one year, close it down the next. And so um, that's what's happening here with the 77, I believe. And, you know, the the other shoe that is about to fall here, we may not have enough teams to run with all 36 charters, but that's another story for another day. But, uh, you know, what goes on with the 10 is, a, is an interesting story. Richard Petty Motorsports with Eric Amarola. So there's still a lot to go on. Yeah, and, and Kenneth was the first domino to fall. I think a lot of people have been waiting this out because he's in a situation where you sit there and you go, e, you know, final year of his contract there at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, and today, John, you get some, some tweets about from Adam Stern about Team Penske. Kozlowski wants to return there. They're just, there's a hang-up, and I, I don't know what the hang-up is. I can speculate on what it is. But we'll discuss that in a little bit. But also there was the fact that there's talk that they're going to go to three teams at Team Penske and that they're in conversation with Menards. Uh, that was Adam Stern tweeting that today from the Sports Business Journal, um, saying a source confirmed that to him. Um, so to me, Kozlowski's not going anywhere if that's people want to – that and that speculation. Um, but it just shows you the kind of – and I think we hit the nail on the head as far as you, it's hard to sell sponsorship when you're running good. That's scary um, because of the fact that, you know, Eric Jones has had a bad year in that 77 car. It's hard to believe that car is going to shut down after one pretty decent year. They've really figured it out here in, in the last 10 races. Um, it just it puts it in, a, in an interesting situation for the entire silly season because where does the 10 go? Do they bring somebody in for sponsorship because they can't sell sponsorship? It's a never-ending cycle here, John as far as how hard it is to get sponsorship. It used to be that the driver came and then they would sell sponsorship or the sponsor and the car owner agreed on who the driver would be. I mean, nobody ever told Junior Johnson who he was going to put in the car from the sponsor perspective. Junior Johnson hired his driver and then he went out and got sponsorship. It's the point now. I mean, you look at Menards at the possibility of going to Penske. I don't know if Paul Menards in the car. John Menard sponsors Simon Paginal for Penske and IndyCar. Penske and Menard have been friends for a long, long time. So that might be an easy sell, but it may not be Paul Menard in the car because Roger Penske wants to bring Ryan Blaney back into the Penske fold and not loan him out to the Wood Brothers anymore. The 21 car, if that's the case, how cool would it be to see Matt Kenseth driving for the Wood Brothers? I think that's a match made in heaven if they did that. They'd give him a year or two to get the next Ford driver coming up through the pipeline a spot in um, the development car with the Wood Brothers. I think Matt Kenseth and the Wood Brothers would be a phenomenal ride. I mean, you said about Eric Almirola, possibly his contract's up at the end of the year. There's rumors that he's going to take Smithfield and possibly go take that 10 car. I don't think that's a great move because Eric Almirola is a mid-pack driver, and that car has shown that it's a back-of-the-pack car with the driver that's in it. He may be a mid-pack car with Eric Almirola in it, but if you're Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, you want to win races. You want to find somebody in that car. If you're not going to have the marketing machine that isn't Danica anymore in there, you want to find the best driver possible if you're putting the car 
to win races, which they say they are. Right, and it makes you wonder: Are they doing anything they can, you know, getting anything they can get because sponsorships so hard to sell? Lee, I want your opinion before I let you go here. Um, a lot of speculation on Casey Kane's future as well. Uh, a guy who's won a lot of races in the past. Um, he's still a pretty popular driver with some fans out there. Um, it looks like his future at Hendrick Motorsports is murky at best. What are your thoughts on Casey King? Where do you think he might go next year? That is the one of the biggest questions in this silly season so far is where Casey Kane ends up. I, you know, I know you guys know the sport just as well as I do, and I know you both will agree with this. Casey Kane's not going to go run for a mid-level back-of-the-pack team. Casey Kane's only going to run out there if he feels like he can win races. And those teams right now are few and far between, especially if you don't have the big sponsorship behind you. So where Casey Kane ends up, he could be back on in the McCall, Washington sitting on his couch and, and running local dirt tracks and going to run his World of Outlaw teams. I mean, that may be where Casey Kane ends up in 2018 because it doesn't look good on form on the NASCAR side. He hasn't been competitive in a long time. Has, didn't make the chase now. This will probably be the second year in a row at Hendrick Motorsports where he doesn't make the playoffs, and it hasn't been a great year for him. And so there's a lot that goes into it, but, you know, Casey Kane, boy, the question looms, where is he going to wind up? And I'll tell you, uh, you're you're looking at the musical chairs of the silly season, and it looks like there's not one for Casey Kane. Well, Lee, I, Lee, I heard a rumor at one point um, before we let you go of uh, GMS coming to Cup with two cars, one for Spencer Gallagher. That'd be perfect for Casey and Casey Kane. Kane in the other one because they're going to align with Hendrick Motorsports. That would be yeah, that'd be a good move, Casey Kane. Yeah, it would be a really good move. And Lee, thanks for calling. Your uh, tremendous help to the show every week when you call, and call back again, will you? Of course, guys. Always good to have you, Lee. Uh, yes. Um, listen, I, oh, silly season. We talked about it. The first shoe to drop was Kenseth and then Eric Jones. Um, I think we're going to, in the next month and a month and a half here, there's going to be so much silly season news. We're not going to know what's, what's going to happen. Uh, and we will dive into that, no doubt about it. It's just that Casey came to me is a very interesting candidate because if the GMS decides we're going to hold off on going to the Cup Series next year, it and that is, to me, the most likely situation now for Kane because – Unless he gets to the 10 car and the 10 can sell sponsorship with him, which is a possibility, and I think he would do well in that car. Um, as I talked about earlier in the show about Truex, it's situations. I don't think Casey Kane forgot how to drive a race car. I don't think Casey Kane's a bad race car driver. I don't think he's in a great situation for himself right now, and that's why he struggled. Um, John, give a quick 30-second preview of what do you think you're going to see here at New Hampshire this weekend. Uh, mile track, uh, flat track, what do you think you're going to see? I'm going to, I think you're going to see a lot of Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, possibly some Logano. It's going to be a Ford-driven track this week. Harvick won when we were up there in September, and he won in dominating fashion. Keselowski and Logano both performed well on the mile tracks, and it's flat. So I think those are the three to watch out for this week. And Jimmy Johnson will not do well. He usually does it at New Hampshire. Yeah, it's a weird thing. He and Kyle Busch. Kyle on the flat tracks just seems like he struggles. Jimmy does not do well in New Hampshire. You're absolutely right. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. Like our Facebook page, like our Twitter page as well. And we'll see you next time after New Hampshire Motor Speedway next week. Good night, everybody.